Please bow your heads and pray with me. Oh, holy God, you are the living God, and there is no God besides you. You are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And how, how we praise you for your gracious gift of the gospel. We pray, O oh God, that you will continue to teach us gospel truth, to guide us into living gospel truth and sharing gospel truth. I pray right now that you would lay low every distraction and every hindrance so that we can open our hearts and minds to hear your teaching through your servant, Paul. And I pray, God, that you would empower me, your humble servant, to speak your truth clearly and teach your truth accurately. This I ask in the precious and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever felt like something was missing? Maybe you cried out in desperation. There must be more to life than this. Those sentiments are common to all humankind. But I know what you're looking for. Do you? If not, I'll tell you. You are hungering for the gospel. You need to be gospelized. Charles Spurgeon, a man known as the Prince of Preachers, once said, I contend for this that to gospelize a man is the greatest miracle in the world. All other miracles are wrapped up in this one. To gospelize a man, or in other words, to convert him, is a greater work than to open the eyes of the blind. For is it not opening the eyes of a blind soul that he may see spiritual matters and understand the things of heavenly wisdom? And is not a surgical operation easier than operation on the soul. Gospelize. I love that word. I've been gospelized. Have you? The dictionary says that the word gospelize means to preach the gospel to or to convert to Christianity. Have you been gospelized? What evidence do you see today that you have been gospelized? The Apostle Paul went on three different missionary journeys, gospelizing the nations around him. On one of those missionary journeys, he gospelized the Galatians and planted a church there. Then he received some bad news. The newly gospelized Galatians were being demonized by false teachers. Paul responds by writing a passionate letter expressing his astonishment and sounding the alarm. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, he points them back to the one and only true gospel that saves. He firmly states that there is only one true gospel which saves us from our sin. That is the truth that emerges in our two divisions today, the gospel and the gospelizer. Our first division is the gospel, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. If you'll open your Bibles, you can follow along with me. Now, first, a little reminder about what we learned in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. There, Paul set the tone for the first chapter of Galatians, as well as for his entire letter to the Galatian church. 
he writes to address the legalism being taught by the Judaizers. This, he says, perverts, corrupts, or distorts the one true gospel. He is astonished, alarmed, at how quickly the Galatians were turning away from the one true gospel. Verses 6 and 7, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The Judaizers had infiltrated the early church and threatened the purity of the gospel. They taught a different distorted and patently false gospel, saying that to be saved, Christ was not enough. You had to believe in Christ, plus you had to become a Jew. And to become a Jew, the Gentiles needed to be circumcised. This is the issue that the Jerusalem Council addressed in Acts chapter 15. When Gentiles in Jerusalem came to faith in Jesus Christ, a group of Jews told them that they first needed to be circumcised. This teaching directly opposed the gospel of grace and confronted the early church with a huge problem. The church leaders, they needed to decide whether the gospel was truly enough to be saved from sin or if the works of the Old Testament law were also required. It was hard for the Jews to pivot from the legalism that saturated their culture and their lifestyle. Yet such legalism, all works and all human effort, nullifies God's glorious act of grace accomplished through Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the church embraced the pure grace proclaimed by the one true gospel. They ruled that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. Now, it is unclear whether Paul's letter to the Galatians was written before or after the Jerusalem Council's decision. But it is clear that Paul was combating the legalism of the Judaizers. He argues for the centrality of grace throughout his letter, encouraging the church to guard against anything and everything that compromises the beautiful grace that makes the gospel good news. What exactly is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Christ died for us, was buried, and rose again. This is a work of God's grace. Our salvation from sin is his work from start to finish. Pastor Dane Ortland says that the gospel is the startling news that what God demands from us, he provides for us in his own son. The Judaizers, they muddled this message of grace by adding their own works to it. In doing so, they troubled or threw the Galatians into confusion. Their gospel was distorted. It was no gospel at all. The Judaizers claimed to be Christians, but they did not preach the one true gospel which saves us from our sins. Theologian John Stott says that the church's greatest troublemakers 
now as then, are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. False teachers distort the gospel. They take sound theology and twist it, add to it, subtract from it. The word translated distort in the ESV is translated as pervert in other translations. The literal sense is that something is being reversed or radically changed. Instead of teaching that we are saved by grace alone for good works, false teachers reverse this and say that we receive God's grace after we have worked for our salvation. This is backwards, perverted. Martin Luther warned that there is a clear and present danger that the devil may take away from us the pure doctrine of faith and substitute for it the doctrines of works and human traditions. It is very necessary, therefore, that this doctrine of faith be continually heard and read in public. Have you ever noticed that Pastor Harris shares the gospel in every sermon he preaches? He does so because he is intentional about keeping the truth of the gospel, the real, pure, one true gospel of the Bible in front of his congregation. This accomplishes three things. First, it shares the gospel with any unbelievers who may be in his audience. Second, it equips believing church members to share the gospel because he has rehearsed it for us again and again. And third, it encourages us to live out the gospel. Even believers must be regularly gospelized, preaching the grace of the gospel to our souls every day. Truly, we need to feed on the truth of the gospel. Failing this, we are prone to wander from God and his glorious good news. We forget the truth of the one true gospel which saves us from our sin. This makes us susceptible to false teaching. The Judaizer did not just teach a different gospel. They taught a contrary gospel. This is what Paul says in verses 8 and 9. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul emphasizes that the truth of the gospel message depends on its content, not on its messenger. If Paul, if angels, if anyone deviated from the one true gospel, they were to be accursed. He affirms this truth twice in these two verses. Proclaiming another gospel is no minor thing. It is an accursed thing. The term that Paul uses refers to final destruction and condemnation. 
irrevocable punishment from God will one day befall all who proclaim a gospel contrary to the one true gospel. Paul was referring to the Judaizers, but the curse applies to all false teachers preaching a false gospel. False gospels plague the world throughout history, and they continue today. One current pastor and author writes about a Christless cult gospel that sounds a lot like the gospel the Galatians were eagerly consuming. He explains that cults are religious groups who twist the truth about Jesus Christ. He says, sadly, many cults claim to be Christian. They are not true Christians, however, because their beliefs and teachings about Jesus Christ are wrong. Christless churches often have an emphasis on reaching your full potential, being the best you can be, and Jesus is our example. Any church that teaches Jesus was not fully God and fully man, sent to heaven from heaven to die on the cross for our sins, raised from the grave on the third day, and ascended into heaven is not a true church and is led by a false prophet. Any church that teaches something contrary to what the Bible says about Jesus is a false church and preaches a false gospel. Paul says that the consequences for such false teachers is dire. They are to be accursed. But note, before pronouncing this curse, Paul reminds the Galatians that he had instructed them in the one true unalterable gospel when he first gospelized them. They know the one true gospel which saves them from their sin. They know the one true gospel that is essential to the Christian faith. How could they then so quickly fall for a different false gospel? The truth of the gospel must be proclaimed, remembered, rehearsed, and lived out. It is the only way we will remember the one true gospel that is essential to the Christian faith. Our first truth is that the one true gospel is essential to the Christian faith. Which gospel have you heard or received? Is it the pure gospel or a distorted gospel? What worldly thinking or teaching is confusing or troubling you? Different types of perverted or distorted gospels compete with the one true gospel in our church today. They do not bring the peace of the one true gospel. Instead, they confuse us and trouble us. The gospel of material prosperity teaches that Jesus is the way to financial gain. But what happens when your finances fail to thrive? The gospel of self teaches that Jesus is the way to personal fulfillment. But what happens when nothing goes your way? 
The gospel of religious tradition teaches that Jesus is the way to respectability. But what happens when people judge you and reject you? And the gospel of morality teaches that Jesus is the way to be a good person. But what happens when you realize that deep, deep down, you fall woefully short of the glory of God? All of these gospels, they offer things that are good and beneficial, but they are false and dangerous because they turn us away from the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. We must keep this one true gospel at the center of the church. Commentator Philip Graham Ryken says that the good news of the cross and the resurrection must be preached, believed, and lived. Otherwise, it will be lost. The church's greatest danger is not the anti-gospel outside the church. It is the counterfeit gospel inside the church. The Judaizers did not walk around wearing t-shirts that said, hug me, I'm a false prophet. What made them so dangerous is that they knew how to talk the way that Christians talk. They used all the right terminology. They talked about how they got saved. They told people to trust in Christ. They presented the gospel only they did not have the gospel after all. The most dangerous teachers are the ones who preach a different Christ, but still call him Jesus. You and I must make absolutely sure that the gospel that we hear and receive is the one true gospel. It is the only one that is essential to the Christian faith. To that end, we must be very careful about who we allow to gospelize us. We need accurate and passionate gospelizers like Paul. He is the subject of our second division, the gospelizer, Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul's rhetorical question emphasizes that he is a gospelizer who in no way tries to please people. He speaks hard and unpopular truth to people, the truth that they need to hear. He just pronounced a curse on the Judaizers for their false teaching. Many probably looked at this difference between what Paul taught and the Judaizers taught and thought, it's no big deal. It's such a small thing. How could obedience to God's law be a bad thing? The Judaizers, they criticized Paul for being so dogmatic, and they questioned if his failure to teach the need for circumcision was because he was trying to please and appease the Gentiles. So once again, Paul defends his apostleship. He says that if he aimed to please people, he would never have become a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul aimed to please God and God alone as he gospelized the Gentiles. His life of almost constant persecution 
and suffering proves his unwavering commitment to serve Christ. For Paul, there was no other option. Jesus saved him from his sins. Therefore, he was his Adonai, his Lord, his Master. He would serve Jesus until his dying breath. The truth is, is that the one true gospel which saves us from our sin, saves us unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed or bought out of our bondage to sin by the precious blood of Christ. We belong to him. He is our Lord. The Hebrew word is Adonai, as master or Lord. God, our Adonai, calls all his people to acknowledge that they are his servants. It is his right to reign as Lord of their lives. This means that you cannot have Jesus as your Savior without also having him as your Lord. Christian blogger John Hendricks says that when God opens someone's eyes to recognize and trust Jesus as Savior, they already affirm him as Lord. The concepts are so interrelated that they cannot really be separated. If by grace you want Jesus to save you from the guilt and power of sin, then it shows that you no longer want to be under sin's tyranny, but you want him to rescue you from it. And if you want to be out from under sin's tyranny, then it reveals you want to be under the yoke of Christ. For to be under anything apart from Christ is sin. Jesus did not come to approve or validate us in our sins, but to rescue us from our sins. That perfectly explains why Jesus is called our Savior and Lord. This was true for Paul. He lived to please Jesus, his Adonai, not people. He was also not preaching just any gospel. He had received the true gospel, the one true gospel, in a unique way. In verses 11 through 12, Paul again defends his commission to gospelize the Gentiles. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's mind-blowing point is that he did not hear the gospel from any man. No mere man taught him the truth of the one true gospel, which saves us from our sin. He received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Commentator Thomas Schreiner says that Paul did not receive his gospel from a human being, for he saw the risen Christ on the Damascus road, and the gospel in all its glory and beauty was disclosed to him. In seeing Jesus Christ, he was also called to be an apostle, an authoritative messenger of the crucified and risen Christ. Like Paul, it is important for you and me to get our beliefs from the right source, a divine source. 
Man did not invent the gospel. It comes from God. And it is the standard by which we measure every other idea, religion, and philosophy. Is the gospel you know God's gospel or a man-made gospel? Are you able to correctly share the gospel? If you are not so confident in how to do so, use the four truths that I learned years ago. The gospel must include the truth about God, the truth about our sin, the truth about Jesus Christ, and the truth about our reasonable response. First, the truth about God. Think about it. Do your homework. Research the Bible. What does it say is the truth about God? Share that. Share who He is. He's holy, righteous, merciful, patient, but will ultimately judge sin. Share the second truth of the gospel, the truth about our sin. Share Romans 3.23, that we all fall short of the glory of God, period. There is no one good, not even one. We are all sinners, hopelessly and helplessly dead in our sin. This leads to the truth about Jesus Christ. We need a Savior. He is the one and only Son of God who came to earth to live a life of perfect obedience to all God's commands. Therefore, He alone was qualified to go to the cross as the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. There He sacrificed Himself to pay the death penalty that our sin earns us. In other words, He died the death that we deserve to die. But praise God, he was raised to new life on the third day, proving that he has triumphed forever over sin and death and guaranteeing that when we, by faith, die to sin with him, we too are raised to new life in Christ. Hallelujah. What a Savior. This leads to the fourth truth, the truth about our reasonable response to the truth about God, the truth about sin and the truth about Jesus Christ. God's sovereignty and salvation does not negate our responsibility to respond. By faith, which is a gift from God, we rest our confidence on the promise that Christ has given us forgiveness of sin and the hope of a new life that pleases God. We also must repent of our sin. Repentance is evidence of true faith. It is a change of mind and heart evidenced in a change of behavior. This includes the desire to repent or turn away from our selfish desires to serve the Savior. He is our Adonai. He has the right to make any claim he wants on our lives. So do your homework. Prepare to share the gospel by researching the Bible and writing down what you know to be true about God, about sin, and about Jesus Christ. Respond in faith and repentance. Jesus is your Adonai. Live like it. Paul demonstrates this with his life. His conversion and commission was so dramatic his only reasonable response was to bow to his Lord and serve him with great passion and dogged determination. Jesus Christ was his Lord 
and Savior. What was true for Paul is true for every believer. The one true gospel teaches that Christ is Savior and Lord of all believers. That's our second truth. The one true gospel teaches Christ is Savior and Lord of all believers. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, have you surrendered to him as your Lord? Who are you living to please? Your husband? Your children? Your friends? Your boss? Or your Adonai? What would change in your life if you daily surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? For me, living under Christ's Lordship changed everything. I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was 14 years old. I was gospelized by an, an itinerant missionary in Venezuela and baptized in a river. Despite that incredible moment, I somehow missed the truth that Jesus is my Lord. I received eternal life on that day, but I failed to grasp the abundant life purchased for me, purchased for me on the cross. Jesus was and is my Savior and Lord. However, I lived for many years as the master of my own life. It wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that I surrendered completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. My eyes were open to this truth when I began to study the Bible and apply its truths to my life. Ordinarily, our salvation from sin is followed by the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification. His sanctifying work in me was for many years imperceptible to my self-centered eyes. Praise God for his patience and loving kindness. My slow-poke journey of sanctification ramped up to warp speed once the revelation of God's word showed me that there is more to my salvation than simply being saved from the penalty of sin. Much more. Sin no longer has power over me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. He gives me the power to overcome the temptations of my flesh, the world, and the devil. Hallelujah. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is a beautiful thing. Have you surrendered to him yet? The one true gospel teaches Christ is Savior and Lord of all believers. And as Lord, Jesus Christ commands us to go and gospelize all nations. Are you feeling empty right now? Are you crying out in desperation, wondering if there is more to this life? You need to be gospelized and gospelizing. Preach the gospel to your own soul. Then preach the gospel to those that God places in your life. Be a part of the greatest miracle in the world. Remember what Spurgeon said, to gospelize a person is the greatest miracle in the world. Greg Steyer, 
founder of Dare to Share Ministries, teaches teens to be part of this miracle. He inspires them to gospelize others by teaching them that in the moment of their conversion, they are blasted out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. They are adopted, born again, regenerated, forgiven, redeemed, and made new. All because someone took the time to gospelize them. Have you been gospelized? If you answered yes to that question, who will you gospelize today? Start by gospelizing your own soul. Please pray with me. Oh, holy and loving Father, you are the author of life and the author of the one true gospel which saves us from our sin. How can we praise you enough for your one and only Son, Jesus Christ? He is a beautiful Savior. He has fully expressed your extravagant, eternal love for us. And Father, may the truth of the gospel humble us. May it move us to surrender completely to your good, gracious, and merciful Lordship. This I pray in the precious, powerful name of the risen Christ. Amen.